Okay, well, so welcome, Annette Craig, the executive director and founder of the With Hope Foundation. So thank you for coming to Real People OC. I'm so glad to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Kimberly. I appreciate it. Well, um, so this is important to you, this, this walk that's coming up. Can you tell me a little bit about your personal story and what brought you to this point to creating an organization like this? Well, with Hope, the Amber Craig Memorial Foundation uh, started after I lost my 14 and a half year old daughter, Amber, to suicide on May 5th, 2005. Uh, three days after Amber took her life, three friends came forward to tell us that they knew that Amber was thinking about taking her life. They didn't know what to do with the information. They didn't know whether or not to take it seriously. Um, it was not their fault. Uh, nobody had ever had a conversation with them. And they didn't really know what to do with the information that they were given. It wasn't as if Amber came out and said, I'm going to kill myself and this is how I'm going to do it. It wasn't like that. Um, so really, in a response to those three friends coming forward to my husband and myself, uh, telling us that they knew that this is what Amber was thinking, um, so that no other family would suffer the way that our family of five, now a family of four, uh, was suffering and so that more importantly that no other teen would be left to feel the way that Amber felt uh, through a very generous donation from a dear friend uh, who told me that she believed that we would know what to do with the uh, funds that she had donated uh, with hope the Amber Craig Memorial Foundation was started and our goal was simply to help uh, other people um, learn what we had learned the hard way um, we went on a hunt for information. What did we miss? What didn't we see? What didn't we know? And um, so uh, we started asking those questions immediately when Amber died. Um, so she passed away May 5th of 2005. And in October of 2005, we had put together a program and started speaking in schools to teens on recognizing the warning signs of depression and uh, the warning signs for suicide. And um, so this walk that's coming up, uh, our annual Walk with Hope, uh, A Step for Suicide Prevention, is one of our primary fundraising opportunities uh, for With Hope. We provide all of our services at no cost. And so this is a way uh, where people can come together for a day of hope and healing. And the funds raised are used for our programs. Okay, so this is such a big issue, depression, and I'm so thankful that in our lifetime, the perception of depression is really changing, what it is, mm -hmm. uh, how it's caused, or maybe we don't even know how it's caused, but h how we are addressing it in society is 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 changing, and that's that's critical, isn't it? Absolutely. We have seen a huge change. Uh, this May will be 11 years since we've lost Amber. And in the 11 years that we've been doing this, we've seen a huge change. Uh, depression wasn't something that was discussed in families, and my family was no different. Um, we have uh, attempted suicides, um, family members that have struggled with uh, depression. We've had loved ones. We've lost a suicide in our family. That's part of our family on both sides, part of our family history. But it wasn't something that people were talking about. While we always knew and openly talked about our family's medical conditions, um, as a mom and my husband as a dad, we didn't know that we needed to know our family's mental health background. And so here we had this healthy, vibrant, active 14 and a half year old daughter 
and um, yet on the inside she was struggling and we didn't know and we didn't know what to look for so we've seen the conversation on recognizing the warning signs of depression of, of having that conversation because we know that depression can run through families um, and and it's great because what we've started to do is we've started to really see depression for what it is it's an illness just like diabetes is an illness and we can't treat an illness um, that we don't know to look for and we have to be able to start having conversations within our families saying, hey, we need to start looking um, at this. So you really felt in the beginning that it was the educational component that was the most critical to get out there to everybody. You know, I think when we started, what, what we felt was the most important, um, and it, it's kind of our tagline slogan, is never promise to keep this secret. We went immediately into talking to high school students because, you know, here are Amber's three friends who knew that she was struggling but didn't know what to do with the information. Um, imagine how they felt. You know, here, looking backwards, it's always easy. But friends tell each other everything. And in the social media world that we live in now, our kids are in constant communication with each other. And as much as parents and, and teachers and staff would like to believe that we kind of know what's going on, um, Amber left six loving suicide notes behind and told us that we were involved and that we were always there and how much she loved us. But here, the, the biggest thing that she would ever struggle with, she kept from us. And the biggest decision she would ever make um, we had no idea that this struggle was going on. So the never promise to keep this secret component was really going into classrooms. And we started to think, when we went in, we thought, well, we're going to tell these kids uh, about suicide risk and, and teach them a little bit about depression. And what we realized very quickly is they already knew. They knew really? that they had friends at risk. Now, they didn't maybe recognize it until maybe a friend was telling them that they were struggling, but we didn't have to convince them that suicide was a problem. What we did was we went in and we gave them permission to talk about it. We gave them permission to be life-saving friends and come forward to a trusted adult with this information. And so what we did was we talked to them about, hey, if you have a friend that's exhibiting signs of depression or is talking about or posting, it's okay to take that information to a parent, a teacher, a coach, some trusted adult, um, and, and get that person help. And um, they do it. They do it all the time. And so um, I think it was just giving him permission to talk about it in the beginning. And so the educational component, what we know is that um, suicide can be prevented through education and awareness. We, we can prevent that. Okay. So how big of a problem is this? Well, one in five high school students will think about suicide during their high school years. So at any given time, about 20% of our high school population is thinking about suicide as an option. And what you need to remember about somebody who is suicidal, that the goal of a suicidal person isn't to kill themselves. I know that sounds kind of backwards, but the goal of a suicidal person is to make the pain stop. If they can't figure out a way to make the pain stop, they can figure out a way to make themselves stop. And so what that tells us is there's some room in there for some intervention to get them connected to some help. So one in five high school students they'll think about it. Um, when they're thinking about it, they're going to be talking about it. 
there's going to be signs. Now, if we don't know what to look for, we won't know to look for them. So part of our goal when we go in and we work with students and staff and, and parents is to help them educate, help educate them on what are they looking for. First of all, you need to be looking for it because this is why. We lose um, over 40,000 people in the United States to suicide every year. It's like filling up the Honda Center twice and all of those people taking their lives. Wow. Now, I'm curious, are our statistics higher than other countries? Or more or less? You know, the World Health, the World Health Organization has said that depression is the number one illness in the world. Oh, okay. So I think it's a worldwide problem. Um, I think that what we have to look at and, and kind of our primary focus is we, we work with teens. So what we see is we see teens who are struggling, who are going through hormonal changes, who are going through uh, situational changes. There's, there's all sorts of factors that play into that. There's past uh, life events. There's current life events. There's physiological. There's biological uh, factors that all can play into this. And so what happens is um, we see the tip of the iceberg. We see the crisis when somebody is talking about hurting themselves or when somebody has actually made an attempt. But underneath the surface, as we know, um, there's so much more. And that's why we connect them to help, aside from the immediate risk and the crisis that they're in, um, is working out those problems, those issues, and getting them connected to somebody who can help them with coping strategies. Right, right. Okay. So... One of the things we mentioned at the beginning of the interview was the changing view and um, perception of depression and how it's looked at as a disease. Uh, the language is changing. They're no longer calling it committing suicide, almost much like you would be a criminal and committing an act that's um, illegal, but more of calling it death by suicide. How important is that perception change in oh, it's huge. preventing it, 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 I, I don't know on the prevention side, but I know on the survivor side, it's huge. Because when you're a survivor, you know, suicide loss... By that, you mean somebody... Who's lost a, a loved one. Yes. yes, who's lost a loved one. When you're a survivor of a loss of a loved one to suicide, um, it's, a, it's a complicated grieving process. Um, because while we know um, that depression is an illness... And that depression and mental illness is the driving factor be behind somebody taking their life. Um, what happens is when you lose a loved one to suicide, there's guilt, there's blame, there's shame, there's judgment and stigma that prevents families from getting help. And, you know, in our case, we were very lucky. We were surrounded by an immediate village of family and friends, and, and we were so lucky and continue to be to this day. But, but the term committed suicide sounds like a crime. And I think what it does is it, it puts at blame someone who dies by suicide, who has been struggling oftentimes a long time without us ever knowing it, when really saying that somebody died by suicide implies that yes suicide is the way they die but the illness that they died for is a mental illness right and so i think that makes that makes a difference because it, it doesn't sound so punitive and i think that it has brought a lot of comfort 
to families um, and, and people who have lost a loved one to suicide because it immediately when somebody says oh they committed suicide it, it puts them on the defensive like they chose this on their own nobody in their right mind would choose this our most of us don't lose our loved ones because they're angry and leave us we lose our loved ones because they're in pain and their ability to cope their pain exceeds their ability to cope it's bigger than than who they are and they yeah. didn't find a way out absolutely uh, you know, when I was in high school, um, it was a tragic, horrible situation. There was a kid I sat next to in sixth period, but earlier in the day, he took out a gun and shot himself in class. Mm. And I, it was, first of all, it was so horrible, especially the kids in the room. But what I am so thankful for is how my school handled it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my school spent a lot of time. Um, this was back before we were, you know, running kids through metal detectors to enter campus, you know, sure. campus life. This was, you know, oh, a long time ago. <laughs> but um, but it was it was interesting because they addressed it with each and every class. They they gave us all psychological support. Uh, and the most important thing that I remember coming from this and that has been really instructive for me in my life as a as a young person and as an adult is that. People that actually leak out any discussion of suicide, um, whether it's a suicidal ideation or um, just a, a threat or um, they have a plan, any any conversation hinting towards suicide whatsoever is, in fact, a sign and a mm-hmm. cry, and a cry for help. And that was that blew my mind because I. I personally have never felt depression, so I don't understand it. I mean, I think the closest I've ever come to experiencing it was when I, you know, like every woman, every month you have a menstrual cycle and you experience a little bit of, you know, deeper emotion and maybe even that sense of feeling out of control with those emotions as well, too, something that you can't hold back. Um, So that's the closest I have, but Mm -hmm. I I suspect that, um, that... educating people on how to spot those signs is probably such a critical component to what we want to do as a society to help people as as they slip deeper and deeper into a place that they can't get themselves out of. It's a little bit like quicksand, isn't it? Well, I think it I think it is and I think it's hard to get help for something that you don't know you're struggling with. So, if you're struggling and your feelings um, you know, you can how you feel on the insight isn't matching up to how you're portraying yourself on the outside. Uh, For instance, you know, Amber was an almost 4.0 student, co-captain of her club soccer team. On the outside, she looks like she has everything going. But in the six loving letters that she leaves behind, um, she talks about being tired. She talks about, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk and how, how she felt on the inside didn't match up with how she was portraying herself on the outside. And that's an incredible burden for somebody to bear. Now imagine that you're a teen and you don't know what you're feeling. So you can't put words to how you're feeling. You know that you have lost interest in things that uh, you used to find enjoyable. Your sleep patterns are interrupted. You're eating more or you're eating less. Um, Sometimes, you know, you're crying or maybe you're anxious in between classes and uh, you don't know where that has come from. And so you start going through some of these things and you think, okay, what's wrong with me? Well, one of the things when we're talking to kids, we see a light bulb go on. They're like, 
oh my gosh, you're talking about me. You've just listed some of the things. Maybe I'm struggling with depression. Maybe that's something that I have. You can't ask for help for something that you don't know you're struggling with. So we have to educate them on what does that look like and then encourage them, hey, this may be something that you're struggling with, but you don't have to struggle alone. See, the thing about depression is it can be so isolating that the very, you you need help. You need to reach out and be able to say, I need help. But what happens to a person who's struggling with depression is they, they feel isolated. They feel like nobody would understand. And so it's important for us on the outside to realize what do these symptoms look like when we start seeing our loved ones pulling away, withdrawing, um, you know, depression takes on physical ailments, headaches, stomach aches. And, and so it's important that we, we know what we're looking for because the closer you are to somebody, um, the more they're apt to share with you. And a lot of times the person who's struggling from depression, uh, won't realize it themselves and they need somebody on the outside saying, Hey, do you think maybe that you're struggling with some depression? here are the signs. You start listing off the signs and they go, oh my gosh, you're, you're talking about me. I, I, I didn't think that. I thought it looked like something else. Okay. So, well, if you're just tuning in with us, this is Kimberly Martin. I'm your host of Real People OC, and we air each and every Thursdays from four to five here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And I am joined today with Annette Craig. She's the executive director and founder of the With Hope Foundation. If you're interesting to our, are interested in the discussion we're having about depression, uh, you can learn more by going to withhopefoundation.org. And we're also talking about an upcoming walk with hope, which is Saturday, March 5th. 2016. It is going to be held up in Orange at the um, Orange Lutheran High School. That's where it's all going to start. And they are hosting the event. And so I guess the component of education, I want to, I want to focus in a little bit about the programs that you guys have developed that you know work and that you're offering through the With Hope Foundation? Well, what we do is we provide educational presentations uh, to schools, and we can do them in a number of ways. We do them in classroom settings. We do them in assembly settings. But our goal is not just to be a one and done. Our goal is really to create a relationship with the school and a partnership so that we can come back and we can work with them. So we do a staff training, we do a student training, and then we do a parent training. And that way, what we're doing is we're building a competent community that can recognize the warning signs of depression and the risk factors for suicide. And it creates an environment where the conversation can be had and where our kids, you know, the kids on the campus know that they can go. Everybody, you know, has their favorite teachers, their coaches, their go-to adults. And so what we found is by doing kind of a comprehensive program, um, when a teen hears that a friend is struggling or maybe they're the ones struggling they feel confident to come forward to that trusted adult and then we're able to get them connected to the help they need Uh, we we enjoy a partnership with many many schools about 55 schools throughout Orange County and some in Ventura County where we work with them on an annual basis and uh, we just come back year after year and we talk to the kids. So maybe they'll, they'll bring us in for an assembly and we'll do ninth through 12th grade. 
Um, and then we come back in and the next year we'll talk to the freshmen. Here we work with the Irvine School District. Uh, we work with all of the high schools and we come into their health classes during the school year. And then during the summer, we talk with all of them as well. So um, in theory, if you've had health in the Irvine School District, you have probably sat in on a With Hope uh, presentation. Oh, very cool. Okay. So is there any age that's too young to start this discussion? And have you found that there's about a certain time that it's really critical to have these discussions? Well, I think I think the earlier we start having these discussions, the better it is. It doesn't seem so shocking. You know, by the time they're in junior high and we're having these discussions, we're already seeing kids that are in crisis. So people always ask me, how do we talk about it? How do we you know, how do we do that? How much information is too much information? And, and I, I kind of use the, the how do you t- talk to your kids about sex? You tell them what's age appropriate for them. So maybe the conversations in the family start out just about, you know, we have heart disease and we have asthma and we have diabetes and we also have depression and mental illness that runs through our family. So we just start talking about it in those kinds of ways. And then I think it's important that we're open about that. As the kids get older and as they go through elementary school and there's lots of kids who start struggling with depression and and we, we don't pick it up, it's misdiagnosed. But by the time, again, it's kind of that iceberg theory, by the time that they get into junior high and they get into crisis, it's really hard to talk to somebody about this when they're in the middle of a crisis. So we want to try and start having those conversations early on on what depression looks like and start talking about our feelings, sharing our family's mental health history um, so that we can be aware and alert. I think this generation is going to do such a better job than my generation and generations before because we've seen a change in how mental health and mental illness um, and just the stigma we're, we're breaking down stigma we've we've done a lot of work there's still a lot more room for us to grow but I think that we're starting to have those life-saving conversations that we need to have and that starts in our families Okay, so if you could run down for us quickly some of the warning signs. I, I didn't mean quickly, just run down some of the warning signs and um, just maybe, you know, a few that are off the top of your head. So for depression or for suicide risk? What, Actually, which? let's start out with depression and then we can move into suicide risk. So if you're... If you notice a change in sleep patterns, if you notice a change in um, weight, if you've got a loss of things that once were interest, you know, that you found interested, um, those all can be things. Declining schoolwork, uh, grades. It's so important when we talk with parents that we talk with them about really partnering with uh, your schools, your counselors, your teachers. They're spending a lot of time there. Um, they're going to see changes in your child that maybe when they hop in the car at the end of the day and you say, hey, how was your day? Um, and they say, fine. Um, that, that lovely word we all all parents love to hear. Um we, but you, you sense that there's something going on. We really want to partner with our schools because they're watching them. They're seeing maybe there's something going on um, at school. Maybe they've pulled away from their friends. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe somebody who was super outgoing has now become withdrawn. And a lot of times um, it can't be tied to something. Sometimes it can be tied to a, an event. And so um, recognizing those signs uh, again depression can take on a physical uh, symptoms uh, stomach aches headaches uh, all of that 
looking back, were any of those present for you? Or you mentioned that she seemed to be living a pretty good life as a student. You know, I think I think hindsight's always twenty twenty. So I think when you put it through the lens of knowing how the story ended, then you look back and you say, oh, that was, that was depression. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was how depression mm-hmm. showed up. And so I think, I think, yes, looking back, we can see that there were times when Amber was struggling with depression and where it probably had, had been on set for, you know, some time for us. But again, as parents not knowing to look for it right. and not knowing what it was, um, I think we just we just didn't know. And I think that's probably one of the things that most of the people that we deal with, um, they don't know. They don't know what to do. They don't know what they're looking at. And so, again, it's that hindsight is twenty twenty. Looking backwards, it's always easy to see because you know how the story ends. Right, right. So is it is the really, if a parent is listening or if a teen is listening, what's the first step for somebody that is feeling like they have early warning signs? Is it really just to go to a therapist or what's the best? You know, the first step is to just tell somebody. Mm-hmm. Tell somebody how you're feeling. If you're somebody and you're out there and you feel like you just can't do this, not one more day, that that you're done, you're tired, you're exhausted. If you're somebody who can articulate a plan, if you've thought that, you know, people would be better off without you, um, that you're just more of a a trouble than you are. um, And and everybody would be better off if you were gone. If those are the thoughts that are running through your head, I can't do this, not one more day. Or if this happens, I know what I'm going to do. If those are thoughts that are running through your head, you just need to share those thoughts. You need to tell somebody that you're struggling. And when somebody tells us that they're thinking about hurting themselves, we need to take that serious. There's never a time not to take that serious. I think a lot of times we think, well, how much stress could our teen be under? Wait until they're adults. But the truth is our teens are under an incredible amount of stress. And you know, there's all sorts of factors that play into that. So when somebody is struggling, we need to take that, that seriously. When somebody says, I'm thinking about killing myself, or I wish I weren't here, or I I'd be better off gone, you'd be better off if I was gone. We need to take those types of comments seriously, and we need to get them connected to help. Because a lot of times what people are saying, and I, I get asked this all the time, well, isn't isn't that just them you know, being dramatic, crying out for help. Absolutely. Somebody talking about killing themselves is the ultimate cry for help. And when we don't do anything, when we don't take it seriously, then we push them further down a path that we would want to help them get off of. Because the voice they hear in their head is just that nobody would miss me. Everybody'd be better off if I were gone. And here I've told somebody and nobody cares enough to do something. And so we, you know, when we work with the kids, we tell them that a lot. And uh, sometimes they'll even say, you got to promise me, you know, what we know is that um, 80% of the people who die by suicide have made a previous attempt. And Mm. so what that tells us is when a a student comes forward, a, a teen comes forward, an adult comes forward and says, I've, you know, I've made an attempt before. I, I did this really stupid thing, but I'm not going to do it again. Um, we we can't sit on that information. We have to make sure we get them connected to help because what happens to them the next time they feel like that, the next time they're going to 
they're going to up the ante. Yeah. yeah. And so there's this window yeah. of opportunity. So again, that's why our programs, the Never Promise to Keep the Secret, is is so huge because they share this information with the people that they're doing life with. And, and we need that information. We need to know when people are struggling so that we can get them connected to help. So I guess an answer, a long answer to your first question is um, we need to know. We, if somebody That's is struggling, the step, yeah. they need to tell somebody. And then they need to work on getting them connected to a health care provider, a mental health care provider. And I think a lot of people think, oh, my gosh, you know, there's something wrong with me. Um, I, you know, I think we could all probably benefit from some time, an hour where we get to go into a room and, and tell somebody what we really Just think and don't. how we really feel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think everybody should get that. So, um it would be nice, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's especially us married folks. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, please, uh, just give me a forum in a padded room. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think I think one of the things that um, I think people are afraid. I think people are afraid of what we don't know, and if you know, they're not afraid to go get a checkup. They're not afraid to go see their doctor to get a checkup. Hmm. We shouldn't be afraid to check in with a mental health provider, a, a therapist, um, and, and check in on our mental health. Right, right. I remember when I was young, I was probably in college when this happened, and I wanted to go see a therapist, and my parents were so hurt by that. They're like, what can you tell a therapist that you can't tell us? And I felt like saying everything, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, only everything, Well, only everything else I don't tell you. But I just yeah. thought that was so fascinating because that is a conundrum, and you know, that first person you tell, you know, you have to look into them to see the possibility of if they're going to take the information and hurt you some more with it. Or, you know, that's a tricky thing. But I do remember my parents taking that very personally. And I really enjoyed th any therapy that I've ever had. It's been a, a great thing. But probably the most important thing I learned from it was that we humans, we have this tendency to think that what we're feeling is all us and only us and no mm -hmm. one else can understand. Mm -hmm. And it's so far, it couldn't be further from the truth how much alike we all are, how we have a very similar mm -hmm. common experiences. And reaching out really helps you see that, you know, this is just part of this continuum of being human. And you can work through this just like everybody else is. Absolutely. I know after we lost Amber, um, you know, we all went into counseling because we didn't have the skill set to deal with this. How do you deal with something that you don't know um, is going to happen? Uh, this was far beyond what came in the mom handbook. I had no idea. And um, we encourage parents, you know, uh, I understand being afraid. Um, I understand, you know, especially with teens, you know, going into a room and talking to a complete stranger for an hour and, um, you know, when you're struggling. But the reality is, is it's that awesome. once they do it, <laughs> once they do it, they're, they're amazed. They're and afraid. to have this person that you can talk to, that you can say anything to, and, and there's no really repercussions from that. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, our kids, they're, they're amazing and they'll filter because they don't want to hurt. Right. Parents. And and they see they see what's going on. If a parent is struggling, the last thing a child wants to do is add more weight to that. They'll take on the weight. Sure. Of a struggling parent. And if everything's great with the parents, um, you know, then the teen doesn't want to be the reason that it's not great. And so they internalize all of this. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that we all need help coping. And um, 
so I think what one of the things that we are really fortunate is we work with some amazing therapists that specialize um, with kids, um, that specialize with uh, survivors of suicide loss, and we're able to connect them pretty quickly to someone. Um, and, and we tell them, look, it, it's like a marathon. You know, you, you, there's lots of shoes out there. So you got to find one that you're comfortable with. So we try to pair them up and we encourage them to, you know, if you're going to take your child to a counselor, as a parent, call that therapist, have a conversation, um, ask the questions that you need to ask, get comfortable. You know your child. You know what your child's baseline is. You, you've known them their whole life. When you start seeing them move away from their baseline and you start seeing some of these symptoms for depression, and you can see those on our on our website, um, again, with hopefoundation.org, uh, the risk signs for suicide uh, are listed there as well. If you're starting to see some of these things, then it's important that you act. Um, we we have a Quickly. support group. Yeah, yeah. immediately, immediately. Um, I get phone calls all the time from parents who are reading their child's suicide note that they have found, and they ask me, do I think it's serious? My answer to them is, you are so lucky to be reading this now. We got all of ours from the coroner. We, we didn't have a chance. So you want to do everything you can as a parent to be proactive because our goal is to make sure you never know what this is like on this side of the fence. For the families who've lost a loved one to suicide, we provide survivor support. We run a, a grief support group twice a month, and uh, it's where survivors come together. Um, the Walk is also a great place, a day of hope and healing, where uh, survivors come together and they walk uh, to honor the memory of their loved one. Um, they believe, uh, you know, they, they participate and they believe in, and they're passionate about making sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else. And the best way I know to honor someone's memory lost to suicide is to help prevent this from another individual and another family. So true. So if you're just tuning in, this is Kimberly Martin, and I'm your host of Real People OC, and we are here at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and we're here each and every Thursday from 4 to 5. We're glad you're joining us today. We're having a discussion with Annette Craig. She is the executive director and founder of the With Hope Foundation. You can find out more about this discussion we're having on depression at the withhopefoundation.org and we're discussing details about the walk that's coming up on Saturday, March 5th uh, this year. It's going to be hosted by Orange Lutheran High School and I, um, in preparation for this interview, I, I am reminded of, I love listening to TED Talks and I first came into contact with Andrew Solomon through a TED Talk that he gave and he has given more than one so you might want to dig if you're interested in this topic to go to his first one before you read or listen to his second one. He so eloquently discusses depression, and I, I'm so thankful for somebody like him. He's a fabulous writer. Um, that's what he does, but he um, has written so eloquently on depression. And it helps people like me who haven't really felt that depth of despair understand people that are and why this is a mental illness. And uh, I really feel like the work he's done has has helped a lot of people understand and um, really, you know, give people some insights that 
we otherwise wouldn't want to we wouldn't have known one of the things he says is grief is depression in proportion to circumstances and depression is grief that is out of proportion to circumstances um the other thing that I thought was interesting that he said, I wanted to share another quote, was depressed people can't lead a revolution because depressed people can barely manage to get out of bed and put on their shoes and socks. And, you know, oftentimes when we um, see somebody that's depressed, we kind of expect them to just get on with life and handle life the way the way um, the way we would. And, you know, maybe you see that kind of depression in older adults, but it's different with kids, isn't it? Well, I think I think. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, as you were reading that, I, I was thinking uh, the things that we say to depressed people, um, you know, hey, just get over it, just think happy thoughts, you'll be better. I think what we have to understand is that the illness of depression is, you know, lowered production of serotonin and norepinephrine. I mean, that's the fancy that's the fancy term, but basically it deals with um, chemicals in your brain. We would no more tell a diabetic, hey, just think Get about pie. having yeah yeah <laughs> and, and think about having more insulin and and you'll be better um and and yet because we can't do a blood draw because we can't do an x-ray because it's something that um is difficult to see people minimize it we have this great great slide in our pro- our uh, presentation that we show and if i could only show one slide it it's basically what your brain looks like when it's functioning properly and, and it's hitting on all of the all of the cylinders and it's lit up like a Christmas tree and everything's working great. And then we show a slide of what a depressed brain looks like and how it's dimly lit and and how you know it it's um, it, it looks so different. Now we can't look in and see that on somebody, but their behavior, is the window that allows us to see that. And that's why a depressed person, sometimes they can't get help. Sometimes they don't know what's wrong. They don't know what to say. And that's why it's so important that we learn what those signs are so that we can say, hey, do you think that maybe you're depressed? Because I notice that you're withdrawn. I notice that you're moody. I notice that you've lost interest in things that you've wanted to do before. You're isolating. we we need to help them and ask those questions. And in order to do that, we need to be educated. Okay. Well, um, one of the other things that you offer through your organization, these are the no-cost services. So if anybody wants to get in touch with your organization, uh, do you have a phone number that they contact? We do. They can call 714-524-1996, uh, or they can email um, through the website at withhopefoundation.org. Uh, we provide uh, not only our educational presentations on suicide prevention and mental health awareness, we have our uh, survivor of suicide loss support group. Uh, we also run a weekly parent support group. This is a group that is for parents. Uh, it's called Hope for Parents with Difficult Teens and Tweens. Uh, we couldn't think of a longer name, apparently. And so, uh, but this group is an amazing group led by a licensed clinical social worker, Brandon Joffe. And he is doing amazing work with these parents who are struggling. Because a lot of times what we can do is we can get the kids plugged in um, who are struggling, but there's no support left for um, family members. And so what we want to do is we want to try and help 
uh, our families stay together so that they can be the support that their struggling uh, child needs. And so this group meets once a week. It's it's an amazing group. And then we also have uh, a teen panel, which uh, is where our teens get involved. I love this group. They earn community service hours. Uh, about 35, 40 kids that come together once a month help us uh, kind of feedback on the program. Um, from them, they've developed with Hope Clubs on high school campuses where they can be a resource of information and uh, they carry, carry our message of never promise to keep this secret. So um, there's that information. Uh, all of this information is on our website, but uh, all of these services and support uh, are offered free of charge. Wonderful. And there's also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Absolutely. Um, that is 800-273-TALK. Spelling out talk is 8255, 800-273-TALK. Um I remember giving that number out to somebody and, and they said, well, that didn't help at all. <laughs> you know, what, what is the m- most important response that somebody should get that's reaching out like this? What, how do they know they've reached a place that's safe for them to, to do the work they need to do? Well, I think what they need Especially to do. in that critical moment. I think what they need to do, if somebody, if, if you know someone who's struggling is talking about taking their life, the most important thing is, is to get them connected to help. Do not leave them alone. Uh, very um, good. They can be taken to an emergency room and an assessment can be done. Uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, that 800-273-TALK, is huge. Um, they're manned 24-7. Uh, for our teens, there's a text crisis hotline number. Um it, studies show that teens are more apt to text than they are to actually to call someone. And so That's that so number, um, you can text to 741741. Uh, you can text start, you can text help, um, but you can text it to 741741 and um, that's a 24-7 crisis text line number. but uh, So you text the word start or you text the word help? Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you can pretty much just text anything. You text that number and say, help. you know, something. Or, yeah, yeah I, I'm struggling. And somebody's going to come back on and text with you. But the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is huge. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not... It, a lot of times we tell people, you know, this this number there this is a 24/7 manned hotline number. And what we know is that if if we can get people talking, we can hopefully get them from moving further away from thinking about hurting themselves act, acting upon hurting themselves. Get them to start talking. The more distance we can put between their actions and the thoughts, the better off we are. But if you think that someone is struggling, if somebody has told you that they are thinking about taking their life, um, you don't wait. You don't wait till tomorrow. You don't, you don't hope that it'll get better. It's time. You need to act and you need to have a conversation, stay with that person and get them connected to help. So that's the key. Um, you, you know, we've learned a lot today and I, uh, I know it's such a heavy topic, isn't it? You know, what, what is our tendency as humans to avoid heavy topics? Well, nobody likes to talk about something that's going to make them sad. I, I don't know, maybe I'm a little twisted, but I look at suicide <laughs> prevention. You like and dark poetry I, I, and well, things like that. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I don't see it like that. I see talking about suicide prevention, not as something dark and, and depressing and sad. I see it as hope. I see that when we talk about this, you know, suicide prevention empowers us all. 
with education and knowledge comes power. And when you lose a loved one to suicide, it can be very easy to feel like a victim. You had no power. We had no choice in this. Um, But what we can do is we can take what we've learned and we can help other people. And that's empowering. The memory of Amber, Amber wasn't defined by her last act. Amber was so much more than a decision that she made wrought out of pain and her inability to cope. And I think the best way that we can help other people is to remember that and to carry that forward. And that's that's one of the things, you know, people say, oh, it must be so sad. It must be so depressing. Um, I think they're really shocked when they come to our events. Uh, it's not depressing. There's laughter. We celebrate um, what we can do and we honor those who we've lost by taking their memory forward, by helping other people, by working in prevention. So suicide prevention for me, um, not dark and dreary. I, I love it because it's prevention. It's prevention. And you probably help so many people. Have have students come up to you and spoken to you when you're at these events? You know, it's, it's amazing. Um, there's never a time when we're doing uh, presentations. Our speakers are incredible. And uh, one of the things that, that we really love is the interaction that we have with the students. And um, they come up all the time. They come up all the time. They write us emails. They write us letters. Um, you know, they'll come up and say, I, I made an attempt last year and nobody knows about it or you're talking about me or thank you for talking about this we do evaluations of the program after because it doesn't matter how great I think the program is if it doesn't work for the kids it doesn't work for the kids and so we um, hand out uh, some evaluations and you know did you learn anything and and what did you think and uh, their comments are priceless to us um, both good and and the ones that we go okay um, we learn so much from them and this is a subject that they want to talk about and we love after we've been to a school and we've talked and again we're talking about relationships that we build with them so we're in constant contact with them Um, and we get emails all the time about I knew what to do Um, I, I took a screenshot I showed it to my mom we took it to you know my friend's mom and said look they're struggling um and look what they've said because a lot of times people post things and they'll pull them down so we we talk to the kids about screenshotting and you know we know the program works not because we're so great but because the kids are so great and they're the ones who give it legs and they're the ones who are never promising to keep this secret they're the ones that are are life-saving friends it's not just making them better friends they're life-saving friends and when you can save an individual who's struggling you save all of the people around them because when we lost amber it devastated everybody who loved her and everybody struggles with that on what we could what could we have done the woulda shoulda could have haunt you because we wish we had the information that we share we wish we had that information 11 years ago absolutely absolutely so if an organization is out there listening to you and they want to bring you to their school, are, are you busy? Have you multiplied yourself? <laughs> uh, are we busy? <laughs> do you have body double going out uh, there with you? And how do they get you to their school? You know what? They just call the office. We are like one-armed paper hangers. We, <laughs> wallpaper hangers, we are busy and we love it. And um, 
They can call us at 714-524-1996. That's our office number. Um, They can email Annette at withhopefoundation.org. You can go on our website and you can inquire about bringing us to your school. Um, We are, uh, the request for our services is great. The need is great. And our um, resources uh, our requests outnumber our resources, Absolutely. Uh, which is why events like the walk and a golf tournament that we'll be holding in June, um, uh, why these events are so important. Uh, we're always looking for people to, to partner with us, to sponsor us, to participate in these community outreach events, because for every dollar raised, we put that right back into program and we're able um it really is your donations, your sponsorships, your participation. Uh, it does make a life-saving difference. Important to note. So you're housed at the Friends Church in Yorba Linda. They're the ones that are offering you a l- office space? Is that no, how works, no. Or? Actually, um, you said they've been a big supporter of you. Right. My, our home church, my family's home church is Friends Church in Yorba Linda. And um, they really embraced us uh, after, I mean, they had before, but even more so after losing Amber and had, um, you know, kind of made this commitment that, that no other teen would be left to feel this way without support and um, so they've been a huge supporter of with hope and uh, they have helped us uh, through support and um, have been one of our our biggest supporters and uh, so we have an office space it's not actually at the church we we have office space in Anaheim and uh, we have just amazing partners that we have worked with Uh, our new partnership uh, that we're really excited about is Chalk Hospital they're opening a mental health facility Uh, so exciting and they're partnering with local groups and so it's really exciting for them Uh, they'll be out at the walk um, so come out and see what their plans are for that and uh, we just have long-term partnerships with uh, uh, PJ Printers and Has Party Rentals, um, Corey and Bueller Physical Therapy, and uh, Tropical is a, a sponsor of our walk as well. These are people who have walked alongside of With Hope uh, pretty much from the beginning. The Anaheim Ducks, we're so fortunate that the Anaheim Ducks um, have partnered with us. And uh, Todd and Caroline Marchant and their family are the ambassador family for the walk. Uh, we have came to to know of them after their family um, had suffered a loss. A family friend of theirs, also 14, had taken her life. And uh, Caroline and Todd and their family are huge supporters of With Hope and the message that we carry. And um, it's so it's with a partnership with the Ducks uh, that we have been really fortunate to have community support. And it, it's going to take a village. Um to provide support for our teens and our families who are struggling with depression and suicide. So if somebody wanted to make a donation, how does this work? Are they sponsoring walkers or can they just make a donation to, uh, to the organization through the website? How does, how does the walk raise money for you? Well, they can register to walk as a walker. They can go online and they can sponsor a walker. Um, or they can just go online and make a donation, uh, through our website. Um, They can contact me if they'd like to become a business sponsor. Um, They can 
you know, contact me through the website and we would love to talk with them. And uh, again, it, it, it's a partnership. It's a partnership in education and prevention. And, and I believe that all of these people who have partnered with us and, and who have donated, they are ambassadors of hope. Uh, they take this information, their support is life-saving, and they take this information into their sphere of influence, and, and so on and so on. And that's how we get the word out, and that's how we save lives. Absolutely. Well, on that note, um, I want to thank you for being here. I know this is a difficult topic, uh, one you're so willing to share and uh, so willing to dedicate your life to. So um it's with great pleasure that I have you on the air to share with us about With Hope Foundation. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Kimberly, for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right.